Coming to you from the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore, this is Sharing the Mic with David Phillips. In each episode, we try to give you a different perspective of life on the Eastern Shore, whether it's about an occupation or simply stories of what people who have lived here have done in their careers. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends. Sharing the Mic is a monthly podcast with each new episode appearing the first of each month. My guest is Moonrise Jewelry founder and designer, Meredith Lusk. Meredith is deeply rooted in her eastern shore of Virginia community, where her family has lived since the 1700s. She began her entrepreneurial journey as a child in her father's drugstore, the Cheriton Pharmacy. Meredith Lusk, welcome to Sharing the Mic. According to your biography, you've been interested in design since the age of about eight years. What do you think inspired that interest and curiosity? Well, I guess I just have always been sort of an innately artistic and uh, creative person. And I really think I kind of came by that naturally. My mother and a lot of my family members are artistic, kind of creative people. And I really credit my mom, Ellen Lusk, for encouraging that creativity and inspiring me to, you know, to always be pursuing that just as an interest. She is particularly talented in the floral arena. She does beautiful flower arrangements, which she has so kindly contributed to my stores over the past 15 years that I've had retail stores. Many people have seen her flower arrangements. And I didn't get so much the um, the flower arranging gene, but I think that just being surrounded by that kind of of inspiration just really helped develop my eye and my artistic and creative sense. And she was always encouraging me to make things and do the things that I wanted to do. And when I was a kid, we used to go visit my grandparents in Florida every year for spring break. And I bring back all these beautiful seashells from the Gulf Coast. And she let me use a glue gun at a pretty young age. (laughs) I would glue them together and put little googly eyes on them and magnets and make little creations. And my dad let me sell them in his pharmacy, the Cheridan Pharmacy. I think they were probably like a quarter a piece or something like that. But even when I was little, I was always interested in making things. And my parents always supported that and would get me the materials and allow me to do that. And I think just growing up in a small family business, you know, I kind of caught the entrepreneurial bug at a pretty young age. Yeah. Well, you've now established yourself as a force with which to be reckoned. When did you know that this work was going to be what you would devote your life to be? You know, I don't know that there was one defining moment. I do remember being a kid and I was pretty young, maybe six or seven years old. And we lived on the farm that's now Chatham Vineyard. So it's it was pretty remote. And I remember that there were really no neighbors around, but I would draw things and do paintings and dig up moss out of the yard and repot it. And I would set up a sale on my front porch. The only person that would come to that sale were my mother and father. <laughs> However, in my child's eye, I, my mind's eye, I could just see people lined up for all the way out the lane coming by my creation. So I guess I had a sense kind of young that 
I was one day going to be a maker of, of products and producing things that people were going to buy. Really just sort of evolved very organically. And I started this business, really it was around 20 years ago, just you know, grew out of a hobby of jewelry making. I remember really very early on in that I realized that it was something I really enjoyed and that I wanted to pursue. Um, it's been kind of a long road to, to, you know, becoming the business that it is today, but I just always had, um, just a sense that that was what I was supposed to be doing. And I didn't really, um, even in the times when it was a struggle, I didn't really want to have to go and do anything else. I wanted to keep going. And that's what kind of fueled me to keep, work, you know, working through the challenges um, so that I could keep it going. I really um, started the business kind of on my kitchen table. I was making jewelry as a hobby just because I enjoyed it and I liked making things. And I had two other friends at the time, Liz Watson and Kate Stith, who were also making jewelry at the same time. And we said, hey, why don't we go together and get a table at the Maplewood Gardens Craft Fair? They would do like a fall festival every year. And so we did. And we were the only jewelry vendor there. And the response was fantastic. And so that was just enough to fuel us to say, well, hey, maybe there's a business in here. And that was kind of the first taste that I had of, wow, I could actually use my creativity and something that I enjoy to ultimately become a livelihood and something more than just a hobby. So that was really, I mean, a testament to the community support here on the Eastern Shore. You know, if we hadn't received such an enthusiastic response in those really early stages of having just a very small little micro business, I don't think I would have continued it. But the people on the Eastern Shore have always been so supportive and encouraging. And that's what really um, has inspired me to keep going. And, you know, at this point, I am the, the owner and the designer and really the team leader. But I have 10 employees, all local women here. So it's a true team effort. Kate and Liz left the business a, a long time ago because they wanted to go on and pursue other opportunities. And so I've been growing this, this enterprise from the ground up for almost 20 years now. Right. And when you started this with Kate and Liz, was that, were you in high school or college or... No, I was in my early 20s. I had graduated from um, college at Tulane University. Um, I was not yet married. I did not have children. So I was um, about 23, 24. And at that time, I was actually working. My full-time job was I was a reporter for the Eastern Shore Post newspaper. And so I was making jewelry at home at night and weekends, just truly as a hobby. Is there anything in your education, your academic background that supports what you now do? Well, so I went to Tulane University down in New Orleans and I majored in Spanish and anthropology. <laughs> so I don't know that it's on the surface. It doesn't seem like that. Um, but I do think that the experiences that I had there in New Orleans during my time as an undergraduate, and then I also did a junior year study abroad program in South America. So I lived in Chile for six months. I think that the experiences living in both of those places really did shape my my sense of style and my aesthetic um, choices that I now make in my design. You know, if you've ever visited um, New Orleans, you know that it is a very culturally rich place. 
the arts are are thriving down there and it's such a warm and colorful and joyful place to be in many ways. There's just a joie de vivre that infuses the culture there. And I do think that some of that resonates just in the the work that we do here and the colors and the really vibrant um, feel that a lot of our jewelry has. And then in South America, of course, there is a really strong artisan tradition. And of course, silversmithing and jewelry making is something that is, is still done and respected there. So I did see a lot of just smaller makers, you know, artisans, you know, selling selling jewelry in the markets and whatnot. And that Andean style has always sort of appealed to me personally. So I do think that some of those um, those styles are reflected in some of my jewelry designs. Well, you certainly have the artistic background. What I'm interested in is, do you have a business manager? The business side of the business is interesting to me in that you have a lot to do. Do you handle everything or do you have support in that area? Yes. So, I mean, I am, I am the owner and, um, you know, that comes with wearing a lot of different hats. Over the years, my role has kind of evolved from doing everything to now really being the, 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 the team leader. I'm still the marketing director and the designer, um, you know, all of the different things. I've got a wonderful team here. So I do have some great support with my staff, some of whom have been with me for 10 to 15 years, actually. So, you know, we have a really great team. And then obviously at this point, I'm, I'm looking to make sure that I am not so busy running the business that I lose sight of the designer role because that's what I got in this to do. <laughs> I've got a new marketing intern. I'm working with, you know, some different people to kind of get some support in um, areas of things that I can delegate. And I think that's a challenge that every entrepreneur does ultimately face when, um, you know, maybe the the reason that you got into the business in the first place almost becomes secondary because you're so busy running the business. And so it's just a, um, you know, process to getting the, the organization in place and the team structure so that you can go back to also spending time on those parts of the business again. So I do feel lucky. I have great support and I don't have a business background per se, in the sense that I don't have an MBA or anything like that. I've really learned a lot of this on the job and also have great, I've had some great mentors and especially including my father, Pat Lusk, owned a small business, the Sheridan Pharmacy for 25 years. And that was my first job was working in the business with him. And so he is a very astute entrepreneur as well. And so he's been a really great mentor to me. And so I feel really fortunate to have maybe just inherited some of these uh, business skills just through my bloodline <laughs> right. or having been surrounded by them, you know. Um, and obviously, I do make a big effort to continually educate myself to add to my own skill set. And I think that that's something that, you know, most entrepreneurs try to do. And if they don't, I highly suggest it because I do think that that really helps with just sort of professional development as well. What was the impetus for using fish leather? 
as a medium of expression and to create the beautiful product that you now have? That's a great question. And I guess the answer is that I didn't really go looking for fish leather. Fish leather came looking for me. By that, I mean, this was not a material that I had ever heard of 20 years ago. And I imagine for most of our listeners, it's kind of a new concept as well. The way it came about is that I was already designing jewelry and had a business probably for, I don't know, maybe three years or something like that. And so we were listed in the yellow pages. We were in a variety of online directories, you know, listing jewelry designers who were working with eco-friendly materials because at that time I was really known for my work with real orchid blossoms. So these were necklaces made with real orchid flowers preserved in resin. And then I was also working with fair trade, semi-precious gemstones. And so at that time, um, I had a studio in the little town of Eastville, Virginia, and a very small showroom there. And we had a landline. The phone number was listed in you know, a variety of directories, including the Yellow Pages. I do remember distinctly one day I was leaving the studio, and I think it was like a Friday afternoon, probably like 5.30 or something, and I was locking the door, and I heard the landline ring inside. And I went, oh, <laughs> unlocked the door, went back in and answered the phone. It was the strangest telemarketing call I've ever received. I answered the phone and this fellow said, hello, this is Stanley Major calling from Sea Leatherware in Toronto, Canada, wondering if you'd like to buy some fish leather today. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled to myself and thought, what in the world? And I said, I don't even know what fish leather is. And he offered a very poor explanation, I'll say, and he didn't really offer to send photos or samples or anything. And so I just said, no, thank you. I'm, I'm good. I don't work with leather and went on about my day. About a year passed and I didn't think about it, you know, during that time. But then it was almost like a Groundhog Day kind of moment. I was leaving the studio and it was a Friday, probably 530. I locked the door and the landline rang inside the, the building again. I went back in to answer it and it was Stanley Major again. And he gave me the same pitch. <laughs> and I guess this time I, I must have been in a rush to get somewhere or something. And I said, Stanley, did you call here last year trying to sell me fish leather? And he said, well, I think I did. And I said, I really appreciate it. But what you're trying to sell sounds very strange. It actually sounds a little gross. I'm not sure that my customers would really like that. I don't work with leather. I specialize in these real orchid blossom necklaces. I really am just not interested. So you don't need to call here next year. <laughs> and I just shut him down and I left. And so three years passed by. I did not think about those phone calls one single time. I didn't hear about fish leather anywhere else, nothing. During those three years, a lot changed. You know, we were in the middle of the Great Recession. I had since gotten married, had a baby. I had an infant at home. 
I was really just struggling to keep the business afloat. And so I closed my studio in Eastville and moved the entire operation back into my house. And I was really just selling online and then through um, events and shows and that kind of thing. And really making no money at it and just becoming very demoralized with the whole situation. I just kind of came to this turning point and I said to myself, you know, I've got to come up with something really different or else I'm just going to have to close this down and go get a job. And at that moment, fish leather popped into my mind and I truly had not thought about it one single time in three years. It was almost just like this little seed that had been planted. You know, when he called, it wasn't the right time, but it finally, you know, it was time for it kind of to germinate and bloom in my mind. And I went downstairs to my computer and I Googled fish leather. And the first result was Stanley Major from Sea Leatherware in Toronto, Canada. <laughs> so the next day I called him up and I was like, Stanley, I think I'm ready for my sample now. I ordered a couple of pieces of his salmon leather. And when they arrived in the mail, I was just totally captivated by it. I just thought it was the most beautiful material and so colorful. And the story behind it was really amazing to me because the skins that the leather is made from are all fish that are a byproduct of the seafood industry. And, you know, living here on the shore and growing up a family that likes to fish, I mean, I enjoy eating fish, but what happens to the skins? It just gets thrown overboard or something. So to me, it really made a lot of sense because here you're taking this byproduct that's, you know, really has not a whole lot of use or value and you're making it into something so beautiful that has a lot of potential. So I was really captivated by it from the moment I first saw it, but I had never worked with leather before. So it took me almost a year of experimentation to figure out how I wanted to turn that raw material into jewelry and accessories that I would be proud to put my name on. I was looking for something that would have an aesthetic that would kind of fit with the rest of my line and the jewelry that I was already designing. I didn't want to create a product that just had a real crafty kind of look or looked too... I don't know. I wanted something that fit in with the rest of the line. So it took about a year of experimentation to really kind of come up with um, the way that I wanted to work with that material. I actually think perhaps the first time I ever sold any of my fish leather jewelry was probably at the Barrier Island Center at, at one of the Art and the Farm shows there. And it was uh, the very beginnings of that line. It did take me a little while to learn how to explain it to people and how to work with it in a way that customers would be really intrigued. But I felt like it was a natural fit here on the shore because so many people do fish and understand the fishing industry. And it just made sense to them in the way that it made sense to me that you're utilizing something that's otherwise a byproduct, you know, making it into something that's a beautiful accessory and has a really neat story behind it. Once I started um, working with it, it really took off pretty quickly. One of the first styles that I created was the um, like a women's asymmetrical cuff bracelet, kind of a wide cuff bracelet. And it's a little different than a lot of cuff bracelets that you see on the market because of the shape is asymmetrical. And it's a beautiful style because it really showcases the texture of the leather. You get a nice piece of the fish leather on that. So 
it really showcases the different colors and textures beautifully. And that product was really the first one that I came up with. And today it's still one of our best sellers. Can you describe the process? And if you will, begin with what drives the design process. You sort of hinted at it a moment ago when you said that it's the shape of the of the leather that kind of dictated the design of the cuff bracelet. Can you give us a thumbnail sketch of how that process works, the nitty gritty from raw material to the finished product? What are the steps and kind of what happens in all that? We work with a tannery now in Northern Iceland that is producing the fish leather for us from skins that are a byproduct of the seafood industry. So we are getting salmon, wolffish, and perch leathers from them. And what they're doing is taking those skins that are um, left over after the meat is packaged or consumed and sold at market, and then they, they tan and dye it and turn it into these leathers for us. They do all of the production to order for us. So we actually have custom colors that no one else in the world has. And we've got over 150 different color combinations right now. So that's one of the really beautiful things about this leather is it is available in such a wide range of colors and finishes with metallic overlays. So it makes it really well suited to a fashion product like jewelry. We import the leather from Iceland and bring it to our studio here in Cape Charles. When we get the leather, it's the size of the side of skin. So if you can imagine a salmon, like a whole salmon side, like a salmon filet, that's the size of one of the pieces of our salmon fish leather. And it's very thin of course, but already finished. We take it from that state and make it into jewelry and accessories here in our studio um, in my store at Cape Charles. We do everything from rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, to um, fish leather bow ties, cufflinks, tie bars, money clips. We wrap flasks in it. So it's a really versatile material and you can do quite a lot with it. The techniques for um, that process are different, you know, depending on the type of product. We have some things that are larger. So for example, our men's fish leather bow ties or our women's um, wide fish leather cuff bracelets. Those take a bigger chunk of leather. So we take the skin, the whole skin, which is, is already leather, but it is a larger piece. We cut that out, the whatever shape we need for the product. In doing that, what happens is that you know you get as many large products as you can from a skin, but you're left with lots of little scraps and smaller pieces that aren't big enough to make another tie or bracelet from. Since we were having all of these smaller pieces left over, I felt like we really needed to come up with some styles that would use those scraps so we're not wasting that raw material. And so that was um, really what inspired me to create an inlay technique for the leather. What we do with those smaller pieces is we take them and we then cut them into smaller sections that get inlaid into metal bracelet settings, for example, or a ring setting or a pendant. So these are smaller pieces, maybe smaller than an inch in diameter in many cases, and we're setting them like a gemstone. For example, like a ring setting, you know, maybe some designers would be setting a turquoise cabochon in that. Well, we are setting a turquoise piece of fish leather. And then for our pieces that are worn on the hands, like for example, rings, 
that need some waterproof protection, we actually put a resin coating over top of them so that they are um, something that you can wear washing your hands and, and not worry about that. Really, a lot of our designs have come about through, you know, not wanting to waste parts of this material. And I really love highlighting it in a small segment because it really puts the focus on the tiny subtle details of this leather that really make it truly beautiful. And it really, I feel like showcases it as a gem of the sea, which is what it is. You've had a long relationship with the Barrier Island Center. As you said, one of your first shows was uh, here at the Art and Music on the Farm event. And now you've collaborated with the Barrier Island Center on a signature Eastern Shore of Virginia map cuff bracelet. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. So when I started the business um, almost 20 years ago, I think the Art and the Farm event was sort of in its really probably first years. I was at that time, I was doing a lot more um, art festivals and craft fairs and things like that to get my product out there. And so the um, Art and the Farm event was, I think, one of my first shows. I did that for a number of years, and it was always so much fun. And just, um, you know, they were great shows for us just in terms of sales. But really, it was about, like, the community support and being able to connect with so many people from the Eastern Shore and allow them the opportunity to see our product particularly in the years before I had a freestanding retail brick and mortar store. Um, you know, that was how we would connect with our customers. Laura Vaughn was the um, executive director, I think, in those days, and she was always so supportive. And the Barrier Island Center gift shop was actually one of my first wholesale accounts. So at that time, they were actually carrying our jewelry in the gift shop, which was just a huge leg up in terms of young entrepreneur trying to get her business off the ground. That was just a real vote of confidence. So we've done um, you know, various trunk shows and things at the Barrier Island Center over the years, particularly in those, those beginning years. And that was really a great foundation to build upon. We always enjoyed donating a product to the Oyster Roast and the fundraisers and kind of keeping a presence um, that way as well. More recently, within the past year, we have collaborated on our signature Eastern Shore Virginia map cuff, which is something that I'm just so proud of and just so thrilled to be able to create and partner with the BIC to offer to our customers here on the shore and we're actually selling them nationwide. And so what this product is, is actually a women's cuff bracelet. So it, it is an inch and a half wide. It's a wider piece that um, features artwork from the Barrier Island Center Museum. And the artwork that we selected is a map of the Eastern Shore of Virginia that was hand painted by a local artist. I do not, unfortunately, know the name of the artist who painted this, and maybe you can help me find that information. <laughs> Possibly Miriam Riggs. Uh, it may have been. I think this was actually artwork that was it had, was painted even before her time there, long before. I think it's been in the collection for a while. And so anyhow, the, I, it hangs at the Barrier Island Center Museum, and it's a large piece of artwork. And so what we did was we took an, that artwork and we had it made into this cuff bracelet, which um, shows the artwork in full color. And then it's hand gilded with 22 karat gold leaf or still sterling silver leaf, depending on your choice. Um, and, then, and then finished with enamel. So it's a really beautiful cuff that showcases 
the Eastern Shore of Virginia, which of course we all know and love. And so um, the collaboration that we've done with the Barrier Island Center um, has been great because we are donating 15% of the, the proceeds from the sale of this bracelet to the Barrier Island Center. And so this is something that we've doing, we've, we've, we started offering this bracelet a year ago and it just really took off. I mean, people have been loving it. And we've been selling it, of course, to a lot of people who live on the Eastern Shore, but also to tourists who come and visit our peninsula or they come in our store and they've had a great vacation and they want to take a little piece of the Eastern Shore home with them. It's just a really attractive piece of jewelry that's also a conversation piece. And then we've been selling them a lot to people who are from the shore or have family here, but they live elsewhere and they just always are you know, telling us that they love just having a little piece of home on their wrist and it just makes them feel a little bit more connected to their roots here on the Eastern Shore. And what do they sell for? Um, so these bracelets are $378 and they are sold um, by the size small, medium, large. It's not an adjustable cuff like our fish leather bracelets. These are a form, you know, it's a fitted cuff. So um, the Barrier Island Center Museum has one on display there so you can actually see what it looks like. And then of course we have them here in my store um, in Cape Charles. We're at 325 Mason Avenue. Um, and you can also take a look at them online. We sell them there as well. And it, the website is moonrisejewelry.com. So just so we're all clear about this, they've got the example at the Barrier Island Center. Right. Then somebody places an order and it, is it custom made or do you just have stock that you we, we do carry stock. This, this has been such a popular product that we do have stock in I see. small, medium, and larges, both silver and gold. If you need extra small or a little bit larger size than what we carry, we can have those custom made. But for, I would say, 95% of the people that want one, we've got the, the size in, in stock that they need. It's great if you can come try one on just to you know make sure that you like the fit. But if not, you know a lot of times people are giving this item as a gift, we have a great return policy and exchange policy. So I tell people, well, let's let's guess and try to get as close to the size as what we think she might wear. Give it to her. And then if, you know, after she tries it on, she feels like she wants to go a little bit smaller or a little bit larger, we can always exchange. And we do free shipping too. So it makes it very easy for people who aren't on the shore and can't come in the store to order as well. You mentioned earlier your store in Cape Charles, and I got to say, it's really stunning. Oh, thank you. I think of it as an anchor destination for the town's primary shopping street, Mason Avenue. Why don't you describe the space for our listeners and tell us what drove the design of the space? Thank you. And I truly appreciate the compliments. We we have put a lot of heart and soul into this, this building and creating a store that is just a true experience and a warm, welcoming destination store. So I'm really thrilled to hear that you felt that way. Thank you. The building that we are in, 325 Mason Avenue, and if you're familiar with Cape Charles, um, we're right next to Bailey's Bait and Tackle. But this is actually a building that's about 100 years old. It's the historic historic Sachs building. It was actually built by Louis Sachs, who was a Russian immigrant, and he was operating a variety store here. So it was a five and dime. We actually have a really neat photo of, of the store from the 1920s. And so that was 
really kind of the inspiration for the building. Before it was our store, most recently, it was a an office building for the owner in Hayward Walker. She owned environmental consulting firm. So she was really just using it as an office space and didn't need, you know, a retail kind of a storefront. So the exterior of the building had not been fixed up or anything for, for many years. When we started working on this project, it was January of 2020. So right before COVID came and threw us all a big curveball, what we thought was going to be a six month renovation process turned into almost two years, <laughs> was a true exercise in patience. But I think that it was well worth the wait. And, you know, having a lengthier renovation time allowed us to really design it from the ground up. And I've had other retail locations in Cape Charles as the business has grown. I've just taken advantage of different opportunities. And also as the town has been revitalized, I've been able to move into better spaces as they became available. And just having the opportunity with this storefront to really envision it from the very beginning and to design the store of my dreams was such a tremendous opportunity. The storefront exterior was actually designed by an architect named Wayne Anderson, who's done a lot of historical renovation work here on the shore, particularly in Eastville for the Baldwin family, Hook at Harvey, a number of things in Cape Charles. And so he has a really great background in historical architecture. And we took the photograph of the building from the 1920s and sort of used that as our inspiration. Peeling back the layers, you know, there was an awning that had been put on probably in the 50s or 60s that covered up. It, it was a large fixed canopy that really made the front of the facade closed in and it covered up transom windows that were up high. And so when we took that down and we found the transom windows, it really just let so much more light into the store. And so that was a feature that we really wanted to keep and to, to kind of highlight there. Wayne Anderson did the architectural design and then really the interior design and the store layout was something that I did together with my staff. It was, it was truly a, a team effort on that side of things. And I guess the benefit of having occupied four different storefronts in the past 15 years is that I pretty well knew what was going to work and what wasn't and I knew some features that we really needed to have um, versus you know things that we could do without so we were able to be really thoughtful about it when we started renovating the interior of the building we discovered underneath this commercial carpet that was aging um, we found beautiful wood floors so we were able to refinish and keep the original floors and when the old wall boards came down we found these beautiful brick fireplaces so those were features that we chose to keep I do think that when you're in our store, you get a really nice sense of the sense of place of Cape Charles and kind of what this historical storefront was like 100 years ago. But it's also blended really with a very modern um, and updated interior. We have a lot of beautiful natural light that comes in. One feature I love is we have a beautiful handmade mahogany door with an oval glass pane that you can look out the front door and see the harbor and see all the boats in the harbor. And I really love that because it's a reminder that, you know, hey, we are in a harbor town and this is a working harbor here. People enjoy that. In terms of the space, one thing that was really important to me is that I wanted people that were in our store to know that we do make our own line here by hand. 
So when you're standing inside the store, you're surrounded by all of this beautiful jewelry, but you can also see through glass French doors into our working studio. So you will see my staff back there who are making the jewelry, and then you see the racks of our very colorful fish leather hanging there. It's just, it's a really eye-catching thing and just kind of underscores to our customers that, hey, not only you know, are you looking at beautiful jewelry, but it's being made right here. And so I think that's a really nice feature. We have taken a lot of time and pride in just truly thinking through all the details of our displays and our designs. We had showcases that were custom made for us down in Miami, especially for this store. For us, that's been a big upgrade with this, this storefront. It's really lovely to be selling out of beautiful cases like these. Just really one of the most fun and interactive features that we have in our store is sort of a focal point. When you walk in the store, you immediately see it. And what this is, is it's a wall that looks like a very colorful river of fish swimming across the wall. And what it is actually is an interactive swatch board for all of our 150 fish leather colors. Oh, how fun. And so it's super fun. It's a magnetic wall that's been painted. I actually painted it with a friend and artist that I collaborate with for, for a number of projects here in the store. Her name is Abby Custis. And so it's magnetic, but it's hand painted. And then the fish are actually, the bodies of the fish are each color of our fish leather. So we have 150 different colored fish and they're magnetic. So when you a customer comes in and they want to design, say, a custom bracelet and they're like, you know, I, I would really like to use like maybe three or four different colors and I'm looking for these shades. We can actually pull those fish down off the walls and look at those colors together with them side by side. And it has all the information that my staff needs to be able to relay that to our production team so they know exactly which color it is that the person wants. And so that's just been a really fun way to engage our customers with this incredible library of fish leather that we have and give them the opportunity to sort of play designer and really customize the products that we offer to suit their individual tastes and styles. One of your goals is to create new opportunities for women in the rural landscape of the Eastern Shore. You've touched on this a little bit, but how have you actually gone about that goal? This was something that I really felt strongly about from the very beginning of the business. And at that point in time, you know, I was in my early 20s and certainly things were a little different here on the Eastern Shore 20 years ago. Just the economic landscape and the tourism landscape was definitely different then. I was looking for a way to kind of turn this jewelry making hobby into something that would become a sustainable enterprise that would provide an opportunity for me, but other women on the Eastern Shore to be able to live here and be engaged in creative, creative, meaningful um, work that would really kind of develop their talents and allow us to, you know, engage with the, the larger world, um, which we do through our suppliers and our network of customers as well. So um, really, I would say the primary way that we've been doing that is really through job creation. I have a fantastic team here. This is absolutely a team effort. I am, I am the designer and the owner. Really, it takes a whole team of people to create the jewelry and run you know, this beautiful store and all the facets of the business that you see today. We work together. My longest term employee is actually a local um, artist by the name of Lena Gonzalez, and she's been with me for 16 years. 
so really since the very beginning. And she's someone that I'd like to give a lot of credit to because she's been my right hand for a long time. I'm very often the design in the design role, you know, I'm sourcing the materials, I'm coming up with the collections and the first of every style. But she and um, Cindy Walker and Susan Price are really the hands behind the operation that are creating each of these pieces that people are, are um, wearing. So it, it is a team effort. You know, I think in creating a business that is also engaged in, you know, we're sourcing overseas, we're selling online. So um, we're selling to other stores that resell our jewelry around the country and in Iceland. We actually are allowing our staff to develop skills, you know, in a variety of areas of, you know, salesmanship, production, business management, marketing, online e-commerce, that kind of thing. So I actually have two, one is a current college student and an intern from VCU, a local woman who's been working with us for the past three summers, Hannah Buckles. Um, and then we also have a new marketing intern as well, Greta Bunce, who is a recent college grad from, from Virginia Tech. So to me, it's really important to be able to offer opportunities to the younger women that are coming along if they choose to make a career in, in a field related to fashion or jewelry or business. I think that I can give them some really great skills here. And I also think it's important, you know, for our youth, if, if they want to live on the Eastern Shore, they need a livelihood. And not everybody wants to be, you wants a job that would be traditionally found here. Teachers, I mean, obviously we need medical professionals and we need people in all sorts of industries. But for someone who wants to work in fashion or retail, there have not been as many opportunities. So I would like to be able to continue to offer that. Well, you've certainly done a wonderful job. And Thank to you. live on the Eastern Shore in an idyllic location and to be able to do that kind of work is certainly admirable. Well, thank you. I think it's a huge blessing. I mean, um, it's been almost 20 years and every day I wake up excited to go to work. I really enjoy what I do. And a big part of that is enjoying the people that you're working with and working for. We have wonderful customers and, you know, we just love seeing all of our, our local fans coming in the store and the people that we've known and love, you know, in my case for my whole life because I grew up here, but then all the new people that are discovering us, it's just really fun to hear their excitement for what we have and to kind of see the Eastern Shore through their eyes a little bit and hear about the things that are resonating with them and impressing them and what they appreciate about it. And I guess it just, to me, really underscores how special this place is and how lucky we are because I'm talking with people, you know, every day in the store from all over the country who really envy the lifestyle that we have here and what we have and really are appreciating it. And, you know, I think sometimes you might take for granted where you live, especially if you've been here a long time, you sort of take it for granted. But when you see people coming from all over the country who are just really so captivated by it and appreciating it. It just really makes you realize how grateful you should be to live here and, and also to be able to do work that I love and a place that I love with people that I love. is just a huge blessing. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. I've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you for allowing me to share my story. Thanks very much. Thank you, David. Take care. Several years ago, Hampton Roads Public Media WHRO did a series of short spots called Our Eastern Shore. 
On each of our podcasts, I will revisit one episode. Listen. Remembering the fairies. You're listening to Our Eastern Shore. In the 1940s, ferry boats across the mouth of the Chesapeake Bay began carrying vehicles as well as passengers. In 1951, the Chesapeake Bay Ferry's northern terminal was moved from Cape Charles to Kiptipeak into a large modernistic building. There were two lines of World War II concrete freighters sunk offshore to form a breakwater for the harbor. Depending upon the weather conditions, a one-way voyage on one of the seven locally named ferries would take about 90 minutes. The boat would then squeak up to sturdy cable-strapped pilings, the ramp would be lowered, and cars, buses, trucks, and foot passengers would unload. Then the boat would fill again for the return trip. The ferry service was replaced by the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel in April of 1964. The Kiptipeak Terminal is now gone, leaving only the old World War II ships to excite the imagination and the memory. Our Eastern Shore is created by WHRO in partnership with the Barrier Islands Center. Funding has been provided by the Virginia Foundation for the Humanities. You have been listening to Sharing the Mic with David Phillips, produced by the Barrier Islands Center on Virginia's Eastern Shore. Sally Dickinson, Executive Director. Kristen Dennis, Office and Marketing Manager. Megan Ames, Director of Planning and Development. Tracy Jones, Director of Education. The Barrier Island Center is located at 7295 Young Street in Machipongo, Virginia, 23405. The website is www.barrierislandscenter.org. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please direct them to bicpodcast at icloud.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Until next time, stay safe and be well.